With an iPod, you can fit thousands of songs in your pocket, not to mention podcasts. With a similarly sized device, you can carry an entire theological library with you, complete with original language Bibles, devotions, and your own notes from your studies. Also this week, we have a suggestion of the week that is a suggestion for action to allow you to move from dial-up to broadband if you haven't already, and also a little bit of typing know-how. Gone are the days of carrying scrolls around, each of which contains one book of the Bible, and Bibles no longer require a weightlifting belt to safely manage. But imagine carrying an entire library of Bibles, study tools, and personal notes in your pocket, or on your cell phone. Today, welcome one man who has made that possible, Drew Hanninger, president of Olive Tree Bible Software. Welcome, Drew. Hi, how you doing? Good. So hey, could... that was a pretty nice introduction. <laughs> Thanks. I like that. That was very good. Yeah, the, 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 you know, I've talked to people uh, that come to church or Bible study, and they say, oh, I wish I had that other book with me, but it's too heavy to carry. And I've got my palm with me, and I go, you know what, I have I have 20 Bibles in my little palm in my pocket. <laughs> they only knew. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. So could you begin with the history of Olive Tree and its products? Well, actually, um, myself, I've been doing Bible software for my own personal Bible study um, uh, starting back in 1984. And that was on an old computer. It was with the Greek New Testament, if you can believe it, on uh, an old operating system before DOS was even around. Uh, ran on a 3 megahertz processor, not 300, but 3. <laughs> And uh, we actually did searches on the Greek New Testament and were able to print it. I don't think we had accents at that point. Uh, and basically, it was for my own study and research. And then in later years, even when some of the other uh, people had Bible software on PCs, I was wanting to do things I didn't see they could do. Like I wanted to do a search and see a listing of all the verses where a particular word or word phrase was located. So I did that myself. And then I wanted to do, when I was studying the Gospels, for instance, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I wanted to look at the word occurrence. Uh, because, you know, uh, Matthew is more about the kingdom and John is more about life. And I wanted to see those relationships. So I built some software that went through and figured out word occurrences in the various books and gave me some numbers to kind of look at. And then um, sometime, let's see, I don't know what year this was, uh, about five years ago, when I was at work and my software job, I was wishing that somehow I could, from my desktop at work, be able to read portions of the Bible from time to time. So I thought, well, I've got this website. I was learning how to do web things, and I got olivetree.com. And so I had, like, part of the Bible. I think I had the book of Ephesians in there, and it was searchable, and I could view it. And I thought that was cool from work. And then I gradually put the whole Bible in there. And then a friend of mine helped me work with uh, uh, somebody who had the New King James. We got permission from the publisher to actually put that up there. Then a earth-shattering thing happened when a friend of mine gave me his Palm Pilot and said, do you think you could ever put a Bible on this Palm? And I said, well, I don't know. How much memory does it have? How much CPU? You know, what can you, how can you, how can you get things on it? And the screen is so small. I thought, I don't know about this. But anyway, I borrowed his Palm for a weekend. I downloaded the software development tools from Palm and figured out, oh, I can put God loves or uh, in the beginning was the word. I, I got that on the screen in about a day or two. I go, well, I think it's possible. So eventually, 
Uh, I got myself a palm and worked away for a couple months, I think. I, had a couple, I can't remember, weeks or months, and got just the King James New Testament going on a palm. It was searchable, although the search was slow at that time. And I posted it on my website, olivetree.com, to see what would happen. And I got lots of response. We had tens of thousands of downloads in the next month uh, of just the King James New Testament that ran on the palm. And then that grew to, I think, the next year we did Pocket PC. And again, we just had King James. Eventually, we got the new King James. And so out of my garage, you know, I was making CDs and, and selling them and had to get a business license because you have to do those kinds of things. And, and still, I was just doing it because I was helping other people who wanted to get the Bible on those devices, which at that point, five years ago, were not really that popular. It was kind of a techie toy, but it was quite convenient. And uh, then we just kept growing and adding in more things and more things, and eventually we needed help, and we hired people. And so now we're about eight people, six to eight people actually in the company. Most of people are full-time, just slowly growing through the years. That struck me that you started out designing it for your own personal use. Yeah, and um, you know, so often you have software that is designed by people that really have no intention of using it personally. Right, and so they really don't know what the actual needs are. They're sort of guessing, and it's sort of like uh, an adult uh, reviewing software that's designed for children. Exactly, so, the kids should do it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, no, it makes a big difference. And, of course, now I use it in every Bible study. and uh, I mean, just having it on the fly, like you're talking with someone, you wish you could find a verse, and sometimes you can't remember where it is, but you can quickly search for it and find it and get them to that verse. Or you're in a Bible study, and you wish you... I wonder how this other translation has that verse, you know? You wish you could look at it in multiple translations, and sure enough, you can do it. Mm -hmm. So it's very handy, especially when you do it yourself. But that's how I started. I started basically because uh, people basically were hoping, you know, they could have it. Uh, I wasn't thinking it would be a business. I wasn't thinking ever hire somebody. I wasn't thinking I would do it full time like I am now. So it just kind of started that way. So what do you see as the biggest advantages of an electronic Bible over a paper one? Well, of course, the number one is the search capabilities. Of course, I realize with a paper Bible, you can have a concordance. But concordances are big. You have to find things. The ability with searches where you can say, give me the verses that have peace and and grace in it. And you can give me put those two words in there and find all the verses that have those particular words in there. I remember when I was at seminary and have a professor talking about a, this particular Greek word. You know, it only occurs in this particular usage or, or, or this particular form or something like that. And and we'd all say, well, how do you know? And he'd say, because I checked. I looked up every single occurrence of it. And we were all really impressed, but now sort of in retrospect, and that wasn't all that long ago, uh, he was using software to do that. <laughs> so. Right, that's the best way to do it, of course. So that's the main ability of software. Of course, traditionally, you know, the paper Bibles, for a lot of people going to church today, they love them. Mm -hmm. It represents something, and you feel a little more comfortable using that. But the electronic can really be powerful. Yeah, and there's definitely advantages to both. I I know, for instance, when I go to do shut-in visits or hospital visits and stuff like that, I take a paper one with me. Yeah. um, Just because... It, there's just something about holding the paper one. Well, you know, it represents something. Right. It does. And a lot of times if I'm visiting a church, a new place or something, I'll bring the paper one just for that reason. Mm. 
But of course, I always bring my palm. <laughs> that's what I use most of the time. But that's the main advantage is just the search capability. Uh, number two, to quickly be able to look at a given verse in multiple translations quickly. So you're in John 1.12, and you want to look at it in about 20 translations. You can do it very quickly. Yeah, I have a parallel Bible that has four different translations. Yeah. It's huge. I mean, yeah. Humongous. Well, those are nice. They've, they're very nice, and they lay out in the desk nice. But mm-hmm. on your screen or on a palm, you can quickly go from translation to translation. So it's pretty nice. And then, of course, the other thing is the convenience of the palm because basically a little device in your pocket, you can have 40 Bibles on there, right. plus a few commentaries, dictionaries, and the original languages all in your pocket. It's yep. really small today. Yep. They have the memory cards that are about one gig, but I think you can get under $100 if I'm right. Yeah. So you can put a ton of material on there. Yeah, it's amazing what you can squeeze onto those things. Oh, definitely. So have you encountered any misconceptions or false assumptions about Bible software? <laughs> Making it or using it? Well, well, with making it a minute, let's talk about using it first. Yeah. Well, of course, using it, I think initially, when people use Bible software, they have to get used to it, how to do it, how to navigate, how to scroll, how to do a search, how to do a complex search, like give me grace, all the verses with grace and love in it, in just Paul's epistles. And there's, of course, ways to easily do that and all the electronic software, but you have to learn how to use the tools and how to set it up and so on like that. Initially, when people use electronic things, they get confused, like, well, how do I scroll? How do I go to a verse? Because it's not real intuitive, whereas with a paper book, you're used to, well, I'm going to thumb through. I know John is about two-thirds of the way through the Bible, so I can go about two-thirds and find it. So um, we're trying to make the electronic easy like that. But there's a little bit of a learning curve. It's sort of like the first time you ever drove an automobile. <laughs> yeah, although you don't have to worry about you know, running. But once you learn how to do it, it's very simple. Yeah. And it's very powerful, of course. So that's the only drawback I can see. Okay, and now with, with developing, I know the, the biggest misconception is that anything is easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, some developers will tell you that. Yeah, that, that's easy. I can put that in. Sure. The thing about software is, number one, is co- it gets very complex internally. But number two, the number of ways you can do something is enormous. For instance, what's the best way to make it so you can easily go to a verse? I want to quickly go to John 1.12, and right afterwards, I want to go to Ephesians chapter 1. How can we design a user interface that's intuitive, quick, fast, easy, and it doesn't require a lot of documentation or, or you know, explaining how to do it and things like that. So there's there's a lot of challenges there. The um, the things you can do, I mean, the kinds of suggestions we have, we have, if you print out our Excel spreadsheet with all the suggestions, I think it's, a, it's about, uh, not quite, but almost a half inch thick of suggestions people have had, comments, um, Bible translations or commentaries that they'd like to have or own. It's quite a bit. And then we're just slowly trying to work through all those things and prioritize and and make sure the and of course as you add new features and software you easily can break something and that happens often and because of the fact that it's very complex you could you know put a new fe- feature in for searching and at the same time break scrolling 
<laughs> and not knowing it, not know it until you give it to a couple of users. So it gets more and more complex. So those are some of the challenges of software, but that's not untypical for any kind of software development. Right. And uh, we're fortunate to have uh, several people working for us. Besides, it used to be I was doing everything, everything from writing the software to working with publishers uh, so we could secure some of the, the good things they have along with supporting customers that don't know how to use something or something doesn't work right and they wish they knew how to use it, um, to maintaining the website, um, all those things I used to do. And now, of course, we have different people doing all those things. And, and a lot of the people working for me are better than me, if you can believe it, uh, which is great in a company like this. So what's the biggest challenge in developing handheld Bible software? Well, of course, the number one is... You're restricted on screen space, the very small screen. Uh, number two, typically the devices don't have a lot of memory. And number three, the CPU or, you know, how fast uh, the little squirrels are going <laughs> and painting the screen is a little bit slower. So you have a, a limited uh, screen space to put things on. And yet on that screen, you want to put the Bible text. You want to put some kind of icons or something so they can quickly go to another Bible. They can quickly go to a verse. They can scroll. They can do bookmarks and notes and searches and things like that. So it's a little bit of a challenge to get all that information on the screen and to make it as intuitive as possible. That is a challenge. And then, of course, you're always, at least not so much now, but one, two, three years ago, memory was a big, was a big issue. Uh, especially with the palm, yep. you didn't have a lot of memory. And so you had to write your software in such a way that it didn't use a lot of memory, but yet be able to do some very powerful things. So that was a challenge. Yeah, and plus you're still, I mean, you're still dealing with lots of different devices with lots of different capabilities. Um, you know, you've got. Yes, your... actually, that's another thing I forgot to mention too. There's a lot of different platforms out there. Of course, you have the Palm and Pocket PC, which are the major ones, but then we're also doing Symbian, BlackBerry, smartphone. We're doing cell phone, uh, both with WAP and with wireless connection. Then even within Palm and Pocket PC, they're always coming out with new devices with new screen resolutions, new keyboards, new uh, hotkeys. Uh, and so we're always uh, pedaling as fast as we can to try to keep up with all those new items that keep coming out. So I imagine you guys have quite a few different models in-house in just to test on. <laughs> we have some. Um, what we try to do is we purchase them, try to purchase them strategically. Uh, we can't possibly buy everything because right. it just the expense is enormous. Uh, most of the software development tools have what they call emulators, mm -hmm. which actually emulates the software on the PC. So we can see it on a small screen and work with it. But many times there are certain issues that come up on certain devices that you actually have to have the device right there in front of you to fix it. So in many cases we have real devices, but most of the development is done on simulation. So what handheld device do you mainly use personally? Well, I use a Palm T3, and the other one that's close to it is a T5, and it's small. It's fast. Uh, I can put a ton of Bible material on it. Um, 
it works quite well. Most of the time when I drop it, it doesn't break, which, by the way, is a feature of Palm, which is not true of, I don't think it's true of the new pocket PCs. Maybe the new ones are better, but it used to be, at least a couple of years ago, if you dropped a Palm, it would keep working. If you dropped a pocket PC, it would never work again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I dropped a, I dropped a Palm a few years back, and I had to get the screen replaced, but otherwise it was good. They keep going. Yeah. So do you consider the T3 or the T5 the ideal handheld device for Bible study? Well, they're the perfect because of size and economy, I would say. But now, if you're uh, into original languages with Greek and Hebrew, mm-hmm. for instance, Hebrew, uh, the uh, Old Testament, of course, written in Hebrew, looks the best on a pocket PC. It does. Absolutely. The fonts, uh, the fonts that we use on the Pocket PC are the same fonts that are used on a PC. So you have a very rich, true type font, um, that looks very, uh, very well, very good. Whereas on the Palm, it's a little pixelated. Mm-hmm. So if you're into original languages, Greek and Hebrew, I would definitely suggest a Pocket PC over a Palm. But since I myself just can't, uh, occasionally look at the Greek and Hebrew, I'm not into it a lot. Uh, but, you know, the the luck on the palm is just fine, sure. for me at least. So is there anything unique about your software that separates it from other products like Well, of course, we have the original languages, the Greek New Testament, the Hebrew Old Testament, and, of course, we have the Septuagint, too, and those are all searchable. Mm-hmm. I think, if I'm correct, we have the most number of items, the most number of Bibles, both English and non-English Bibles. I think we have the largest collection. There's a couple of features we have that I think are unique uh, in our application, but uh, I think the main thing is our content. We have the most amount of content. We're a library system, so basically you have a reader, uh, which we call Bible Reader, and that's free, by the way. The actual Bible Reader is free. You can download it off our website. And you can get several Bibles for free, ASV, uh, I can't remember all the ones, including a Spanish, a French, a German. I think there's even a Dutch one. It's all free, so you basically can do Bible study on a Palm or a Pocket PC, a Symbian, Blackberry, uh, for free. Or you can buy the, the, the better modern translations, they, they cost something. Oh, by the way, that is unique about our software. I think we're the only ones that have both the modern translations uh, like, for instance, the NIV, the NLT, uh, the Message, mm-hmm. uh, the NRSV, and also have some free Bibles. So uh, I think as far as being unique, we have, number one, the original languages, number two, the largest collection for Palm and Pocket PC, and number three, a, a nice combination between both free things, and when I say free, you can come to our website and download it, and we don't bug you, like, would you give us your name and address and your zip code and your cell phone number, and your email address, uh, we just let you download it for free. There's no uh, pressure, any salesman going to call you or <laughs> anything like that. <laughs> so whereas I think on a lot of the websites, when they have free things, you know, they want you to register, they want to collect your email, they want to find out all kinds of things, you know, the name of your dog and what color, what color is your couch, and so they're trying to do surveys and things like that. But we just give them out for free. So what's next for you? What What are you working on? What's coming up? Well, of course, the handhelds is a is a growing field. Uh, technically speaking, in a certain arena, the PDA, 
the palm and pocket PC, as we know today, are dead. Dead in the sense that they're not selling that much anymore, but not dead in the sense that a lot of people have them and are using them uh, and continue to uh, use our Bible software on them. The cell phone, of course, is the next big arena. We're already into the cell phone. We're on Symbian. We're on BlackBerry. We have a wireless solution for... You know, most of the cell phones don't have a lot of memory space. Right. Uh, it's interesting. If you turn the clock back about uh, 12 years or 15 years when we developed on old PCs, huh. you know, 186s and 286s and 386s, uh, for those who did development or did applications, they were slow. They didn't have a lot of memory. You had to do a lot of tricks in your code to get, get it to work. People couldn't load big programs. It took a long time to load. Okay. So finally, the PCs are nice and fast and smart and quick and do lots of things. And now you come out with these palms and pocket PCs. And guess what? We're starting the game all over again. They're slow. They don't have much memory. Okay. Now eventually, now the palms and pocket PCs are, PCs are going pretty good, right? Okay. Now the next thing is a cell phone. Okay. And the major cell phone that's out there, I mean, the most cell phones that are sold that will support like a Java application, because that's what we run. Most of those cell phones hardly have any memory. So what we're doing to put the Bible on those cell phones is we actually use a, a, a Java application, which is, by the way, free from our website, and you go to our server and download portions of the Bible over the Internet. Now, you may have some Internet charges, but from our side, it's all free. Uh, eventually, we're going to make other Bibles available in the same way. So where things are going, they're going toward the cell phone. And they're also going towards more and more different handheld devices. Um, did I tell you about the Dana Dana device? No. This isn't something that most people in the U.S. would be concerned about because I think it's more used in educational. But we work with um, Wycliffe, Wyc Wycliffe Bible Translators. Mm -hmm. The translators in the field, not the people in the United States, but the people in the field, they need a low-power device that has a keyboard. And so guess what? There's this palm pilot, or palm, I should call it, called a Dana, that has a full keyboard and a nice large screen. It runs on batteries. It'll run week one or two or three weeks on a set of batteries easily. And the translators use it in the field for doing their translations. So we're actually doing some projects with Wycliffe where we're um, getting our software to run properly on those devices and working with them on fonts and a few other projects and things like that. But that's another uh, palm device. Uh, it's been around for a while. And most people look at it and go, oh, it's a black and white screen. It's terrible looking. Well, but if you're a translator and you don't have much power, you know, they don't have plugs and yeah. even generators are a problem because of getting fuel and things like that. Solar is what they use and batteries and the equipment they use has very long lifetime. So the translators in the field use these devices. Yeah. So we're actually doing software development for that platform even though in the United States it would be considered archaic, but yet to a translator in the field, this is like, boy, this is the best way to do translation work. Yeah, my first palm was a 3XE. And, okay. Um, you put two AAA batteries in it, and it would run for about two weeks. There you go. That's pretty, exactly where the Dana device is. Yeah, and that was with pretty heavy usage, too. Yes. And now I have a T3, and I have to charge it every day. Well, I put mine on my cradle every night just to make sure it's all charged up. Yeah. That's the best way to do that. But, uh, 
Yeah, so on one hand, we're moving into the forefront, which is the cell phone, but we're also supporting some older devices just because of our connections with the, these translators. Well, I'm hoping that uh, that everything doesn't go to the cell phones. Um, <laughs> and, and, and for two reasons. There's two reasons that I don't like uh, having your PDA built into your cell phone. Number uh-huh. one, I never want my phone to crash when I'm in the middle of a call. Um, yes. And, and my palm does crash on me. Uh, from time to time. Uh huh. Right. And uh, and the other thing is that I occasionally, when I'm in a hospital, need to use my palm. And right. those smartphones and, and things, you can't just turn off the phone part of it. It's all or nothing. And so you can't right. turn it on at all in in um, hospitals. And there's certain areas now where they're letting you turn them on, but I mean, half the time I'm in intensive care. Yeah, so, so you can't do that. So Now, yeah. the Symbian cell phone actually has a mode that you can turn on with no cell phone, so like you can use it on an airplane or in a hospital. It does. It's just the PDA section works. Ooh, that's good to know. That's good to know. Also, um, in the smartphones and cell phones with PDA, in the hardware, not in the software, but in the hardware, they pretty much have made a clean separation between the part of the chip or the chip that runs the cell phone and the chip that runs the PDA. And even when we do certification of our software, the operating systems are becoming very much guarded so that a PDA application can't accidentally crash the phone. Okay, that's good Um, to know, too. I think that's still in progress, but uh, that's something to remember, too, because that is definitely an issue. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, you always visit our website, olivetree.com, and see what we have. Oh, one other thing. Yes. Uh, you guys have a really cool sort of a Java timeline on your, yes. on your site. Can you talk about that? Well, I did it again as my own personal research because I wanted to see in perspective. I, I was actually taking a couple of uh, history classes, history of the Bible, and church history classes scattered through the years. And I wanted to be able to look at things and be able to zoom in. So on one hand, you look at everything from about the time of Abraham all the way through to present like Billy Graham. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you want to just look at the Old Testament portion. Sometimes I just want to look at the New Testament portion, like the first 100 years, and be able to see when Paul wrote various epistles, when did Peter write, um... When was Jesus born, approximately? And But then also to be able to look at church history, 2,000 years of church history. And then also to be able to look at significant people. So I put this, I did this several years ago. Um, I put this database together. It's a, not a whole bunch of items, but um, you have some biblical people, both the Old Testament, the New Testament. You have church history, significant items and significant people like the Reformation, like Billy Graham, uh, the Church Fathers, so that you can look at history. I mean, it really helps, because if you're studying something, whether you're studying the Bible or you're studying church history, or just understanding the perspective of when the Reformation happened, or who are the significant, who are the significant people in the last, like, 200 years, um, it's helped me a lot to just see the perspective of where people are uh, at historically. So, again, that was something I put together for my own study, and then we put it on the website, and people like it. Mm-hmm. They really do. Yeah, it's very handy. So 
So that's off our website. I think it's forward slash history or something, but there's a link someplace to get to it. I have a link at, uh, go to lcmspastor.com slash history or historical, or just click on right. the historical theology link. I have a link to it there. So good. Find it. So very, very handy tool. Great. So anything else? Well, you know, the Bible is the most important book in the whole world. <laughs> Don't forget that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's wonderful to be able to have it in your pocket and have it with you all the time. It's like there's, and to have it on your cell phone, even though it may not be convenient to use, and you know, because of the issues that you mentioned, right. but still the fact that it's there, and yeah. if something does happen and it's like you're stuck, you can always get to a verse yeah. and read a little piece or a little portion out of the most important book in the whole <laughs> on the whole planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's exciting. Well, Drew, thank you for your time. Thank you very much for calling, too. All right, God's blessings to you. Okay, thank you. And now it's time for the product product suggestion of the week. This week's suggestion is a suggestion for action. I was hoping to have broadband by now, but it turns out we're not in line of sight to the nearest tower. But the wireless guy says we can get a petition together, and if we can get 15 to 20 signatures, they can probably set up an antenna or obtain use of a local tower to get usage in our community. So if you're still dealing with dial-up because you live in a community without DSL or cable, your options are either satellite, which is very expensive and with major limitations, or put together a petition and go door-to-door through your community. You're providing free advertising for the company in exchange for actually getting access to their service. Monday night, thanks to a strange network incompatibility that's too complex to explain, and I don't totally understand it myself, My wife found herself retyping my daughter's school essay because we couldn't get the file from her computer to one on the network to print it. Her teacher insists that you have to put two spaces after a period. While this is true on a typewriter, it's not true on a word processor that uses a variable width font. So unless you're using Monaco or Courier or some other fixed width font, only use one space after a period. I'm not going to argue with my daughter's teacher about it, but... For the rest of the community, and hopefully the world will learn this soon enough, that's what you need to do. Next week on Lutheran Weekly, we have Tim Hetzner, president of Lutheran Church Charities of Chicago. They cover a huge range of work, so check back to hear what God is doing for those in need. Well, that closes the book on another Lutheran Weekly. Remember that you can post comments on our forums at lcmspastor.com forum and ask questions of upcoming guests. Your questions will be read on the air during the interview. If you'd like to leave a voicemail to be aired on the show, you may call 206-339-7909 to leave a message. Thank you, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.